This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. All right. Well, we started a series uh, two Sunday mornings ago called Love Riot. And that sounds like kind of a, you know, like, hey, well, that's kind of bizarre. What's all that about? So really, just to make a super long story short, uh, we had a prayer meeting, our warfare prayer meeting, uh, I guess about a month ago, three or four weeks ago. We really had this burden on our hearts to pray for the love of God to rise up within Christians. That's no other way I can say it. I can't pray for the love of God to rise up within sinners because they're incapable of that. They haven't even, they don't even know what that's all about. But, we're, for every born-again Christian that's in this building, that's listening online, wherever, every born-again Christian, you already have the love of God in your heart. Really? Because I, I didn't know that. It's there. It says, for the, love, for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so, it's there. Now, a lot of people just don't know how to tap into it. But believe me, it already exists and it's there. So, what we're talking about is Christians all across the United States... And, and, you know, I can't, I don't have authority over all of them, but I have authority over me. And I have some realm of influence over the people of Barstow and especially the people of this church. But what if we started to rely on and tap into the love of God that already exists within our hearts? Would that possibly make any difference in our nation? Three people in a born-again, spirit-filled church on Sunday morning think that the love of God could help things. I'm going to have to preach harder than I thought today. I thought this was going to be smooth sailing after that worship set, but I guess we're going to have to work a little bit. Okay, so the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts, it's already there, but Christians tapping into that love, and then when somebody's mad at them, they turn the other cheek. When somebody says, I demand you go the mile, and they say, you know what, no, that's okay, I'll go two miles. If Christians actually did what Jesus taught in the New Testament concerning love and forgiveness and turning the other cheek and loving your neighbor as yourself and loving people unconditionally in 1 Corinthians 13. If Christians actually did that, I guarantee a move of God. Guarantee it. I mean, I don't even feel like I'm stepping out on a limb right there to say that if Christians began acting like Christians, we would have a move of God all across this city and all across the United States. If Christians began to act like little Christ-like ones, we would see Barstow change. I would see my own life change if I started acting like Jesus. And, you know, one time Kenneth Copeland told this story. He has a lot of haters. So the more that, you know, the more you do for God, the more haters come up against you. I don't know if you've seen that. So he has a lot of haters, but... He, he said one of his friends came up to him and, and said, hey, I heard you've been running around with Copeland and his bunch trying to act like a bunch of little Jesuses. What's your problem? And the guy said, that's exactly what we're doing. Of course we're trying to go around and act like Jesus. That's the goal of every Christian is to go around and be like little Jesuses. If Jesus loved his enemies, if he prayed for those that persecuted him, if he laid hands on the sick and they recovered, that's exactly what I'm aiming for. You're not going to threaten me by telling me that I'm trying to act like Jesus. That's exactly. uh, You're bright. You're quick. You caught on quick. That's exactly what we're doing at High Desert Word Center. So anyway, to bring it in, we I really believe that there is potential. Okay, there is the potential for a mighty last days end times move of God right before Jesus comes back. The potential is all there. 
And as we've prayed and looked at it, I mean, we've seen great healing revivals in this last century. We've seen uh, a revival of the gifts of the Spirit in the 1970s called the Charismatic Renewal. We've seen all sorts of revivals. But what if this last move of God was simply a, a move of the love of God Christians loving other Christians, loving other people. And what if that was the final chapter before Jesus comes down and takes us home and says, they finally got it. I'll go get them now. Let's go home, guys. Wouldn't that be something? And so we're looking at this and the the, the title this week is this love right part two, the bait of Satan. What I'm going to talk about today, and this is something that is key for every Christian, and in fact, there is a great book by John Bevere, and I think we have it in the bookstore. It's called The Bait of Satan, and what I'm going to talk to you about today is huge. This applies to every person in this room, every person listening, The Bait of Satan, and what I'm going to talk about today is you being offended. Yes. All right. I'm talking about you as a Christian and and just people in general, the power that Satan holds over your life when you live a life of being offended. Now, there's this old story that we've told lots of times. And and Josh actually a couple of years ago pulled up this video to prove it to me. So I know that I'm correct when I say this. But there are there are remote tribes down in, in some of these third world nations of Panama and all these different places where where there's actual monkeys and there is a method that they use to trap the monkeys and it's brilliant and it works because monkeys love bananas and so what they'll do is they've got this little they've got a cage with just the bars going vertically down and so what they'll do is they'll place a banana in the cage a monkey's oh hey banana he runs up and what the what the natives really want is they they enjoy monkey brains that's a great apparent delicacy in some of these places so the monkey runs up sticks his hand in the cage this way turns it over grabs the banana he wants this banana so bad well, you know, the, the, the people run out to go and bash his little head in and, and get what they want. And so he's holding on to the banana and trying to pull it out of the cage like this. But the banana won't go that way. He's not quite at this moment thinking that, well, I could t- twist it this way and get it out. Or if he were to just let go and drop the banana, he could get his hand out and run free. But he's holding on to this banana for dear life. And then his enemy comes and bashes his little brain in and has, you know, monkey brains for for lunch that day. But here's the thing. If he would just let go of the banana, he'd be free to go. The banana is the bait. Now, think of it this way. You're a jolly, nice, little, cute, little Christian, and the devil's got this little cage set up. He puts a little bait right in the middle, a little banana, a little bait, and it's called offense. You run up and you grab the banana. Satan comes and he starts bashing your brains in. And if you would just let go of the bait, you could go free. But so many people, so many Christians, they won't let go. Some of us are holding on to the same bait we've been holding on to since the 1970s. The 1980s. The 1990s, I mean, some people, they and the devil's just been bashing their brains in for years. Maybe you're holding on to bait that he's been beating you over. And, and, and if you would just let go. 
Well, pastor, it ain't that easy. Well, we're going to see how to how to overcome some things today. But here's the thing that I found out about. I've seen TV shows where maybe somebody, you know, they're playing with a, a gun and they actually accidentally shoot their friend. Right. And then I've seen stuff on TV where somebody totally intentionally shot somebody. Here's the thing. Either way, somebody got shot. Somebody dies and suffers the consequences, whether it was an accident or it wasn't an accident, whether it was deserved or not deserved, somebody's losing their life. And so we think, well, I deserve to hold on to this. Maybe you totally do deserve it. Maybe you totally, 100% are justified to be offended. Doesn't matter. Either way, you're getting your brains beat in. Whether you deserve to be offended or you don't deserve, maybe you're just being a sissy and you shouldn't be offended and you're being a little snowflake. That's, that's a potential too, right? Either way, either way, Satan is having a heyday messing with your mind. He doesn't, he doesn't care if it's earned or unearned, justified or unjustified. Doesn't matter. Either way, somebody's losing. And so, I could sit here and argue all day about my right to be offended. I could sit here all day and, 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 well, you know what? You're darn right I'm offended. You're, and I absolutely deserve to hold on to this. That's fine. You maintain your right to be offended. But you're still going to get your head beat in by the devil. Let's just put it that way. And that may not sound, you know, super uplifting and encouraging. But if you can get this key truth from God's word today, listen, you are going to have your life changed. And you're going to start living like a Christian finally. Who thinks that sounds good? Listen, this is life changing if we can get a hold of it. All right. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to get into the word of God. And this is all a part of a love awakening in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, we thank you that we don't have to live like everybody else lives, Lord. We don't have to think like everybody else thinks. You told the prophet Isaiah, I'm commanding you to not think like everybody else thinks. And so, Lord, I refuse to be exactly like everybody else. I want to be the Christian that you've called me to be. And I know that this church wants to be a church full of Christians that are like you called them to be. Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus. Jesus, that you will speak to us through your word. Change us, Lord, for your glory. We don't want to be the same. We want to be like you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. And so the first thing I'm going to say is this. Number one, offense is the bait to Satan's trap. Offense is the bait to Satan's trap. Now, have you noticed that we, I mean... Pre-2020, okay? The last 10 years. Don't even just cross 2020 off your list. But I've noticed that we live in a age and a generation of very fragile people. Very fragile. Where, I mean, you're, it's so, it's difficult to talk to some people because anything you say can and will be used against you and you can offend some people at just any chance. I, and I'm, I'm talking pre-2020. I mean, it's absolutely incredible and it's awful how easily people get offended and will just cross you off, cut you out of their life, delete you, get rid of you because you don't agree on everything. That is a tool of the devil. The devil wants to use division. He wants to split families up. He wants to split Christians up over any little thing he can use. Look at this. Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to look at verse 10. Matthew chapter 24. 
Who's glad to be at church today? Matthew 24, and we're going to look at verse 10. Matthew 24 is obviously one of the most key end times chapters of the Bible. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, you guys see that temple? It's coming down. They're like, no, it's not, man. That took, there's no way the temple's coming down. He's like, oh, yeah, it's coming down. And so they're like, well, tell us, what's going to be the sign of the end of the world? And he's like, you got a minute? And so Jesus goes in to a super long discourse and teaching on what it's going to be like at the end of the world, right before God the Father sends Jesus back to come and get us. So Matthew 24 is called the Olivet Discourse. If you go back on our YouTube channel, you'll see in in March and April, maybe even into May, we did nine weeks of end times teaching on Wednesday nights, mainly from Matthew chapter 24. And so Matthew 24, verse 10 Keep in mind, sign of the end times, he says, and then many will be offended. My gosh, I could stop right there and I could say, Jesus, you hit the nail on the head, brother. Yes, many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. I mean, just that verse right there, three Spot on prophecies that Jesus absolutely nailed all three of those things. Who thinks that many are being offended in just not our whole our whole generation? OK, I'm not even talking about this year, our whole generation, many offended. And, and, and look at this, because offense, it starts to snowball. Back when I grew up in Indiana, we, we had this big hill behind our house. We'd start off with a little snowball and just keep rolling it down the hill. By the time it got to the bottom, we had this giant snowball, this giant thing. We can make a snowman, the bottom layer of a snowman. And so it, 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 it gathered more stuff. The little snowball, it gathered more to it and got bigger and bigger as it went. And so Jesus says, many will be offended. But what happens when you start to really let being offended get to your heart? It turns into many will betray one another. I know some people that are, they won't even talk to their own family members because they disagree on politics. I, I saw on the news this last year, Thanksgiving, I think it was in Florida, a dad got so into it over politics with his son, he shot his own son in Florida at Thanksgiving dinner. Come on, people. And so many will be offended. Many will betray one another and will hate one another. Now, a lot of this chapter, he's talking to, you know, some of it's about the world. Some of it's talking about Christians themselves. Absolutely. I mean, that is what a sick feel. How, how, how powerful of a Christian can you be if you're offended all the time, you betray people and you hate other people? Do you really believe that you're going to be a strong Christian, that God's just, God's going to pick you to, to do a mighty work through? God's going to use you to go lay hands on the sick and see them recover. God's going to use you to bring children into the house of God. God's going to pick no way in this world. If you are a Christian with hate in your heart, you're unusable by God. I said it and I'll say it again. If you are a Christian that has hatred in your heart and and you're just so offended all the time at everybody, you're unusable. Well, why would you say that, Pastor Dave? Write it down. Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works by love. 
If you're going to be used by God, you're going to have to have some level of your faith working. And if you have hatred for other people, if you have betrayal and backstab and everything else on your heart, your faith is not going to work. Faith works by love. Look at this. Proverbs 4.23. Let's flip over there. Proverbs 4.23. This is a verse that we refer to often. Many of you may already know this verse. Proverbs chapter 4. In verse 23, but what we're talking about today is this concerning a love riot, a love awakening in in the body of Christ. We've got to handle some of this today before we move on into game plans of how of how we can go show the love of God. We just got to quit. We got to get Christians and 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 the people of God to to get over to let go of the banana before we can start being used. Right. Everybody say, let go of the banana. Let go of that banana, please. And so Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, I know this much. I've got a lot of soldiers in the room. At our men's meeting yesterday, I realized, like, man, half the guys in here are veterans or currently in the Army. And so they know a lot about this stuff, a lot more than me. But though I'm no genius, I do pretty much know that your heart is quite key to your survival, right? I mean, I don't want to get shot anywhere, but I could probably survive a a gunshot wound to my pinky uh, a, a little bit better than I could to my heart. So I want to protect my pinky and my hand and my ankle and my kneecap. I love all of those parts dearly. They're very important to me. But I really need to pay very special attention to my heart and how closely I guard that. Because it's not likely that I'll survive very many wounds to the heart. That That's typically a fatal wound, right? And so it tells us here in the book of Proverbs, guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Well, when we're studying scripture, the majority of the time when we hear the phrase heart is talking about your spirit. Unless it's very specifically talking about the organ in your chest, it's talking about your spirit. And so it says, guard your heart, guard your spirit above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If you are letting offense and betrayal and hatred and just flat out anger Control your heart. It will determine the course of your life. Now, you know, you can't go over there, man. You know who's going to be there. Don't even bother. You hate them. Yeah, you're right. I don't even want to be. I'm not going over there. What's going on? Anger and offense is controlling the course of your life. I want to be able to go anywhere that Jesus tells me to go. I want to be able to say Anything that Jesus tells me to say, I want to be able to do anything that Jesus tells me to do and not have to say, I can't, Jesus, because I'm offended at those people and I don't like them. Think about that. How powerful of a weapon is offense that it has stopped some people in this very room from doing what God told you to do because you just couldn't let go of the banana. I'm going to let that mellow in your mind for a few minutes. That needs to ripen and produce some seed. You need and something will be. But I'm justified. We already covered that. So there's two types of offenses. I think I put this on the screen. There's two types of offenses. And before you get excited, this isn't that deep what I'm getting ready to say. There's two types of offenses. Those that are justified and those that are unjustified. But here's the thing. 
Both are fatal to your faith. Again, maybe you're totally justified. Maybe you're not justified and you're just being a little sissy. Either way, doesn't matter. Either way, both are fatal to your faith. Both can absolutely throw your life off course. But I like the banana. I don't want to let go. And I see some people like that. Their offense, it's moved into their house. It's, you know, it's part of the family now. Oh, yeah, we don't talk to them. That's the McCoy family. We're Hatfields. We hate the McCoys. Do you know why? No, but we hate them. I've just always known that. Well, we don't like people from over here. They're, uh, no, they, they live on that side of the tracks. We couldn't possibly. Well, why? I, I don't know. It's just what granddad said. I, and, and, and so some people, they have inherited offenses. Right? This guy's my mortal enemy. Why? Well, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I don't really know why. I just know that I'm not supposed to like them. Why? Think of how pathetic and stupid that is that you're holding on to the bait and Satan is just pounding away, messing up your life. And so again, doesn't matter once the bullet leaves the gun, it doesn't matter if it was an accident or it was on purpose, it's going to achieve the same result. And we can sit there and argue all day. Yeah, but it was, but it was on purpose. Okay. Well, still someone got hurt. No, but it was a total accident. So it doesn't matter. Somebody still got destroyed, whether it was on purpose or not, whether it was justified or not. And so I'm going to move to point number two here because that's this. That's this. Number two, offense leads to deception. So Jesus said many will be offended. Many will betray each other. Many will hate one another. And so the very next, let's flip back over there, Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24. And so again, as we're talking about an end times move of God, it's not going to happen until we can get Christians to let go of the bait, first of all. Now, it's one thing to complain about the people of this world and like, well, yeah, but they're always like that. Listen, we can't control them. They're under the power of their father, the devil. Right? Jesus said, you're like your father, the father of lies, the devil. You do just what he, you, you act just like him. Well, until somebody gets born again, they're going to act like that, man. But what we can control is ourselves. And we do have authority right here in our realm with our fellow believers. And so let's focus on the church. I want to see, you know, it'd be great to see a worldwide end times move of everybody, everybody from everywhere holding hands with rainbows and ponies and singing Kumbaya and we are the world. That will never happen. It is not going to happen. But what could happen is Christians could unite. Christians could get over it. Christians could start loving one another. As Jesus said, he said, hey, by this shall all men know you're my disciples indeed by your love for one another. If Christians started doing that, we could get somewhere. And so Matthew 24 Verse 11, and so Jesus, he just, he just talks about many are going to be offended, betray one another, hate one another. Then he says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And so I've read that so many times, and then later on in the chapter he says, if possible, even the very elect shall be deceived. Even the very elect Christians, even Christian leadership could be deceived. And so I've thought about that. I'm like, God, how? How could 
Christians be deceived? How could Christian, and it says many, and that Greek word literally means the majority of people. And so when he used it in verse 10, he said many will be offended. Well, he said the majority are going to be offended people. Then he says the majority are going to be people that end up getting deceived. And so as I study all this and as I, you know, as I live my life, I'm like, Lord, how could the majority of people end up being deceived and be offended people? It's easy to understand when you realize the snowball effect and what happens. How could so many people be susceptible to offense? Because so many people are offended. You are very susceptible to deception, being deceived, tripping up, whatever you want to call it. If you live your life offended, you're, you're wide open for deception against the devil. I mean, it's not even hard work. It's easy work for him to deceive somebody because he can come in and do all sorts of things to your mind, do all sorts of things in your life, and you're too busy thinking about why you're mad at the guy you work with. You're too busy thinking about why you're still mad at your mom from childhood. I don't take lightly of that. Or, or you know, people that are, they're mad at their dads. They're mad and, and like, I just can't get over it. And I've found out, man, there's a lot of people that have dad issues in this world and mom issues. And, and, and I mean, that's heartbreaking to me. I, I, because I'll be, I can't say, I, I, don't, I can't relate to that. But I have found out in pastoring, there's a lot of people <laughs> that have issues from childhood, from their parents. And I hate that more than anything. But here's the thing. You may totally have every right to be offended. The devil's still beating your brains out over it. You may, it may be totally justifiable for you to not ever even want to speak to your parents or your family again. Doesn't matter if it was on purpose, if it was an accident, if it's justified or unjustified, the devil still gets the same result. Right? Still beating your head over it. And so, what if Christians were so full of the power and love of God that they could go to somebody that is scarred from childhood and bring healing power to them where they heal from those wounds and are able to move on with a healthy, productive life from here on out. Who would like to be used like that by God to bring healing to people that are scarred from their child? I would love that, but it ain't going to happen if I myself am holding on to the bait of Satan. Faith works by love. Don't expect to be used by God in a mighty way if we are so full of hatred and bitterness and offense that we can't move on. And so one of Satan's main objectives is to separate you from the word of God. Has anybody else found that out by now? If you want to go out and if you want to go out to a restaurant pre quarantine, Satan doesn't usually try to stop you from doing that, right? Like, I feel like Arby's and some curly fries. I never get resistance on that. That I mean, the devil never tries to stop me from getting a milkshake and some curly fries. He's all for it, probably, because it's not good for me. But how come, you know, uh, there's all sorts of things I can do in this life. There's no resistance. If I want to stay there and watch TV all night, Satan doesn't care if I just put a little house in the prairie marathon on. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Hey, don't tempt me with a good time because I will go there. And so, but the devil doesn't usually try to stop me from watching my favorite shows. Little House on the Prairie, The Rifleman. I mean, I love that stuff. But there's no resistance. But I guarantee you, the moment that I start to open my Bible, resistance shows up. I read, you know, somebody can read three or four minutes and they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't even stay awake right now. 
Mom's cooking pizza rolls. What? I'm awake. No resistance. Why? Because Satan wants to separate you from the word of God. And one key way he can do this is through offense. And and what and, and so listen, an offended person may very well read the word of God, but they start reading it with a veil over their eyes. I've seen this. Somebody that's totally wrapped up in being offended, they'll read the word of God and they see and, and twist scriptures and use them in the wrong way to justify their opinion. Here's an example. Psalm, uh, you don't have to turn there. Psalm 139, 19. David wrote, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. I mean, that's a, I'm not usually praying for God to slay the wicked, but David said, oh, that you would slay the wicked. I mean, think about somebody that's offended. They may see a Christian brother as the wicked. Lord, he did me wrong in that deal. He, I paid him and he never came through for me. Lord, slay the wicked. Wait a minute. That's not, I mean, God, you know what she did to me. I just, you know, it's, it's right here in the word. I pray you just slay him. Now, this is a very extreme example that I'm using. That's far-fetched. But listen, how many times have we read the word of God through our offended lenses and really came up with some stuff that it was not really, that's not what David meant when he wrote that. That's not what, and we twist things, and it begins to affect us, and that's what Satan wants. He wants to separate you and twist you away from the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 165. Let's turn there. Psalm 119 and verse 165. We read this on Wednesday night. We had a pretty good time Wednesday night. Who was here? I, we had a, we had a good one, man. Uh, Wednesday night we talked about love for the Word of God. But here we go, Psalm 119, verse 165. And so, King David says this. I'm going to read this in the King James. David says this. This is so vital. And I mean, listen, I really pray that you're listening up and getting this today because this is a major key to your success in life. Major key. Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law. God's word. Who loves the word? Now, who many actually love it? And they're not just saying that because you're sitting in church and we'll make fun of you. Okay, very good. I'm, I'm kidding. But it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Really? Nothing? I mean, th- I'm looking at that verse right there. I'm like, that's a pretty bold gutsy statement to say somebody that loves God's word. So I know if you love God's word, that means you spend a lot of time with it because you don't spend a lot of time with things that you don't love. So let's just assume that you said you do love God's word and that that logically leads to to point B that, that you must spend a lot of time with it. It says somebody like that, nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. No thing shall offend them. That is a deep statement. Now, the, the New Living says, and, and, and nothing shall make them stumble. And so we can tell right now, if I notice myself being very sensitive, if I notice myself, because, hey, I'm human, I get there. If I notice myself getting offended over lots of little things, I'm going to immediately say, my God, I have not spent enough time in the Word lately. I haven't because I'm getting offended at people. I'm starting to be, I'm being, I'm, 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 I'm letting people hurt my feelings all the time. 
there, I must not be spending enough time in God's word. That's largely, you know, if you're a mechanic, if you see, oh, this is happening over here, the very first thing to check is, is this right here because that's usually what it is. And so if I'm getting offended all the time, the very next thing I'm going to check is this. I must not be spending enough time with God's word because if I am, nothing shall offend me. And I don't want to be fragile and sensitive like that. I know way too many Christians that they wear their feelings on their sleeve. And they're just waiting for something to be offended. They're so fragile. And you're expecting to go be a giant slayer. You're expecting, Lord, give me Goliath. I want a big one. I, give me a big one. And, 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 and we can't even, no. You would melt down as the giant breathed in your face if we're like that. You know, one of the, probably the, as a parent, let me give a little parenting advice. If you've got little kids, never take them into an antique shop. Is that, amen? Can I get an amen? In the, can I get a witness? All right. No, I've got a lot of expectant moms in here. So just a little, you know, someone the other day asked me, someone that's getting ready to have a baby, just just give me, shoot, give me some some parenting advice. And I'm like, well... Here's a big piece of advice. Never take children into an antique store. And I mean, I like the practical stuff because it's not that they're going to break something, though they very much could. The anxiety and stress level inside of my chest, I can't take it because the whole time you're like, oh, don't, don't touch. Don't breathe. Don't look. That's a thousand dollars. Don't, that's a, that's a hundred years old. Don't touch it. And by the time you get out of there, you need chest compressions from a medic because you were so full of stress and I don't believe in having stress and anxiety but I haven't conquered that one yet and so but but think about it why is it like that because everything is so fragile and valuable and things can be broken so easy I have some Christians that I'm like I got to tiptoe around and like okay just don't say this and don't touch that subject and and uh, they don't uh, uh, and I'm going to break it and and I don't want to I don't want to have a meltdown and, and 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 you should not be like that. How awful that somebody couldn't get the word of God to you because you can't you you would just it would offend you way too much and you would melt down, break down, break into a million pieces. Now we, we I, one family that I could think of, and I, I would of course never ever ever mention somebody's name, but I mean several years ago. We had a family that came to church here, and, and a lot of you, you probably, but listen, I've never seen people this offended in my entire life. There was not a service that could go by where we could possibly not offend these people. And I'm sorry, I mean, when they finally, whatever the last straw was, and they moved on down the road, I was like, you know what, Loki, thank you, Jesus. I don't want to, my gosh, we can get back to being normal around here now. Woo! But so like a year later, though, the lady calls me and Katie and she's like, you know what? I want to come talk to you guys. And we're thinking, you know what? I was kind of hoping that I would never talk to you again. But but uh, but we're we're good Christian. people. You know what? Maybe she's had a change of heart. I don't ever want to judge somebody. I don't ever want to assume. And so we're like, you know what? We're, we'll clear it. We made time. You come on in. We're at whatever you need. We're here for you. And so I'm thinking she's going to come in and say, you know what, uh, we realized that we hurt a lot of people. We were, and I, that's what I really thought. She had a whole list of grievances against nearly everybody in this church. From children to the elderly. I'm like, that is stinking impressive. 
On July 14th of last year, I saw him in Walmart. That, and I'm not, this is actually a true one. I'm wrong on the date, but in fact, I just thought it was Lawrence that they were mad at on this one. And so on July 14th of 2013, I saw Lawrence in Walmart. He did not even acknowledge that we were in the same store. And I'm like, huh? Then, uh, you know, another one, I'm, I'm just, I'll get real for a minute. And then another one, yeah, on, uh, see the, 13th of September, Susan told me that I had something on my dress and I did not appreciate it. Am I right? Katie's Silver. I mean, I'm right. And the, the, the names haven't even been changed to protect the innocent here. This is real stuff, okay? I just use their real names because they're sitting here. But, and so they're going through, and so and so's kid, and I'm like, are you serious? And then she wanted me to start, you know, what are you going to do about that? I'm not going to do anything about that. These are great people that shouldn't have to tiptoe around your fragile feelings every moment that we're around you. We're human beings. And I'll just, if you're looking for a perfect church, the city limits of Barstow's that way you may find one. This is not a perfect church because I go to church here and I am extremely not perfect, right? This is not a perfect church because you guys go here and none of us are perfect But the good news is, we need Jesus. Amen. And we know that we need Jesus every single day. If you think I'm bad now, imagine me without Jesus. I'd be a million times worse. If you think, you know, Rosalinda's messed up now, I don't. But if you do, she would be so much worse if she didn't spend time with Jesus every day, right? We would really be screwed up if we did not make such an effort to get into the presence and into the shelter every day. If you don't like us now, you would really not like us then. Keep looking for another church. We are clearly not the perfect church. And I have zero trouble. I mean, I have failed people. I have been wrong sometimes. But you know what? Jesus loves me. The people that love me still forgive me and give me another chance. Thank you, Jesus, that he's good. His mercies are good forever. His mercies are new every single morning. Let's look at James 3.16, shall we? James 3.16. Amen. We we don't have perfect people around here, but we have a perfect Jesus. And that's all I need right now. James 3.16. James 3.16. We had a great, uh, at our men's meeting yesterday, we had such a great discussion, you know, about, about just a lot of guys getting to open up and share. And man, my brother Troy over here, he had some dynamite fire verses he shared with it was awesome but you know we're dealing with so much of the you know there's the strife amongst christians and 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 all this stuff and and you know people arguing about jesus and and so it's just insane stuff but look at this james 3 16 in the king james it says for where envying and strife is there is confusion and every evil work where envying and strife is, there's confusion. And sometimes I've been around Christians, I'm like, man, they're so confused. They're so confused. It's like, and I've been in, have you ever been in an atmosphere, maybe someone's house or a work environment, and there's just this fog in the air of confusion. And you're like, oh, man, what's, I can't even think straight around these people. Anybody? I've been there. And, and, and the thing is, is it's always, when there's been envying and strife. 
It brings confusion and every evil work. And so you go to some places and you're like, man, it's like there's just I can't even there's such a fog in this atmosphere where envying and strife is. There's confusion and every evil work. What if Satan was so good at this offended game that he was able to get Christians themselves to be full of envy and strife? What if he could do that? Well, I think he has done that. And I think there's Christians everywhere that live this sort of lifestyle. They fight with everybody at work. Fight with people at church. They fight with other Christians that don't believe the exact same on every single doctrine as they do. That is not the will of God. And that's the will of Satan. And he's used it incredible for a very, very long time. But but all that aside, put this in your own life. What could Satan do to you and to your household if he could get you guys to be offended at each other all the time and be in strife? I mean, I'm I'm wanting to change America here, and I'm wanting to change Barstow, but I want us to work on our own families for for to start right there. First of all, think about that. Is there always confusion and 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 every evil work inside of us where there's envy and strife? There's confusion and every evil work. Let's bring it in and start focusing on our own households. First of all, has anyone noticed it's really easy to get offended at your family? I mean. Good Lord, my own kids can offend me. They got, dear God, they do, they do some weird stuff sometimes, right? I mean, have you ever stepped on a Lego at midnight? Show of hands, who has stepped on a Lego? That is the worst thing ever. You're going just like, oh God, who did this? I'm offended, right? You go to pour some lucky charms in the morning and the three-year-old took every marshmallow out of the whole box. Like, what's, why do I even try anymore? Nobody wants Lucky Charms without the marshmallows. And I mean, talk about a bad way to start. I just wanted some breakfast. You know, somebody took the oatmeal. Yeah, somebody took all the brown sugar and maple packets. And now I'm left with the, the apple. Nobody wants. Get, get that out of here. Listen, stuff happens. And little things. The Song of Solomon 2.15 says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Those little things. They start, I mean, you wake up in a bad mood when something like that happens. But I'm telling you right now, we've got to start with the little things in our life. Change yourself, change your family, change your city, and let's change America. But I'm not, I'm realistic here. We've got to start with ourselves. The third thing is this. Number three is offense will keep you out of the promised land. Offense will keep you out of the promised land. Yeah, we've been hearing about the promised land for years, but we ain't got there yet. I wonder why. You're still on the other side of the Jordan. You're still looking over. Listen, offense will keep you out of the promised land. Now, you got to know that getting to the promised land is not for the faint of heart. Because God provided an amazing promised land for his children. But they had to, they went through some stuff to get there, first of all. Then when they did get there, then they had to fight giants. They had to fight the, 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 the people that already lived there. And I can tell you right now, if you get your feelings hurt when someone doesn't agree with your politics, it is doubtful that you're tough enough to kill a giant and get into the promised land. Say that one more time. 
If you have to totally get offended and, and hate somebody because they didn't vote for the same person as you, I'm just going to, let's just, don't wait. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to save you some time. You're probably not tough enough to get into the promised land because the giants, they don't care if they hurt your feelings or not. Like, oh, wait, I won't talk about that because that could have. So, you know, what? come on in. Come on in. I was going to fight you, but just come on in. We, we, we realize how sensitive you are. Giants don't care. They will huff and puff. They will blow your house down and not care if it hurts your feelings or your mom's feelings. They'll make fun of your mom while they're doing it. They don't care. Right. And so we as Christians with the love of God need to be able to toughen up. Numbers chapter 13, let's flip there. Numbers chapter 13, and I use this passage a lot because this is so applicable to so many things. Numbers chapter 13, let's flip over there. Are we learning anything today? Numbers chapter 13. But just imagine if Christians began acting like Christians, if we loved people enough, even that we, it's okay. You know, you said something offensive, but that's okay. I love you anyway. I'm still going to I'm still going to be there for you. I'm still going to love you no matter what. If Christians acted like that, I mean, come on. Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing right now. Jesus said that. And, and if so, if he could do that, certainly I can love people that are offensive to me. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 30. And so this is the story of Joshua sending the 12 spies into the promised land. I'm going to read this quickly. Numbers 13, verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. And so what are we reading right here? They send in the 12 spies. Ten come back and say, it is beautiful. It's everything we dreamed of. It's a dream come true. But it's actually a nightmare because we are never getting in there. There's giants. So two guys say it's not only a dream come true, it is coming true. We can take this land. Yes, there are giants. We're not denying that. But we are well able to kill the giants. Next verse. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. And so ten guys got millions of people to be in fear. Ten guys got millions of people to give up on their dreams overnight. Think about how powerful is fear? Well, offense goes hand in hand with fear. And I'm telling you right now, it spread to millions of people overnight. They spent all night crying out loud. Verse 2, their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. Wait a minute, time out. Hold on. So weren't the Israelites slaves for 400 years in Egypt? And then didn't God send two guys named Moses and Aaron to come deliver them out of 400 years of slavery in the desert? But now we are turning on our leaders that were there for us when nobody else was. That believed in us when nobody else would. 
that laid their lives on the line to rescue us when nobody else cared, being offended will get you to turn on the very ones that care about you more than anybody else. It will get you to turn on your leaders. I'm just saying that. I'm just, I'm just saying that, that these guys turned on Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives, our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? <gasps> what? So, I mean, come on. Now they're turning on Moses and Aaron, and now they're saying, we were better off in Egypt than we are out here. Egypt in the Bible represents the sin that I've been delivered from. Some Christians get so offended that they'll get mad at the very people that helped deliver them in the first place. Then they'll say, you know what? It was bad in Egypt, but it was better than this. I was better off back there being drunk. I was better off back there being a dick. I was, you know what? I am so mad right now that I was better off back there in Egypt. And I am telling you right now, I have been delivered from Egypt and I never want to go back to the devil and to Egypt for anything ever. But wait a minute. How could somebody even think like that? Jesus said in Matthew 24, 10 and 11, in the end times, many will be offended, many will betray, many will be full of hate at that point, and they will be deceived. Can you see how wicked deception is that it would make you eventually say, you know what, I was better off back there. Wow. What a powerful end times weapon of Satan to pull you away from God right before the trumpet sounds. And you say, you know what? Forget all. I'm going back to Egypt. I'm going back. And then Jesus comes back. How awful for that. Jesus said this type of thing would happen. Let's go. Uh, so um, for the sake of time, I'm going to flip you over to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 14. Because I want to see the end, time, the end result of this, this story that I'm reading. The people get full of fear. Ten guys spread being offended amongst the entire nation of Israel, all the, the, the Hebrew people. They spread this offense. And so God gets ticked off. He's like, you know what? Forget about it. All you guys that complained, every one of you, you ain't getting in. Consider the promised land closed to you. I'm like, wow, that's awful. He said, everybody except Joshua and Caleb, everybody that's a fighting age, everybody, promised land's closed. Sorry, that, that ship has sailed. It's over with. Wouldn't it be bad to lose out on an opportunity from God? Because we were so offended, so angry, so vile. But yeah, but mine's justified. How many times do I have to cover this? Justified or not justified, the result's the same. Yeah, but I deserve it. Oh, come on. Get over that. Listen. The bullet doesn't care if it was an accident or on purpose. The result's the same. Wouldn't it be bad that you're standing there on the deck and your ship has sailed and you're standing there like, oh, my gosh. Wow. She got away. He got away. They got away. It got away because I was too busy holding on to this banana right here, getting my brains beat out. So God says, nope. Everyone can't go in. 
Joshua and Caleb and, and you know, some of those young guys that weren't of fighting age yet. So Joshua chapter 14, verse 10, here's the end result of faith, love, obedience. Joshua 14, starting at verse 10, because by the time they finally get there, Caleb is 85 years old. 85. He was in his 40s when this whole incident occurred earlier. Now it's 40 years later. He's 85 years old. They get there and everyone's you know, like, now, Caleb, we know you're in your 80s. Uh, God made this promise, but it's OK if you don't actually want to. You know, we, we would understand if you don't want your own parcel of land. We've got a nice little community over here for you. Uh, they, they do water polo once a week. They do aerobics on Tuesdays. Uh, they serve yogurt every morning and it's a retirement community. And you just go over there, Caleb. And he's like, you kidding me? I've waited 40 years for this moment. And so Joshua chapter 14, verse 10, here's Caleb. He says, no, 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 no. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. And just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going and for coming in. He's like, you guys kidding me? You kidding me? I'm 85. I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40. You kidding me? I, I, I can go to war still and I can do anything else I want to do. God has preserved me. God has kept me no way and so he says this now therefore give me this mountain of which the lord spoke in that day and so back in the day he's like you know what when we get in there i want that mountain right there well yeah but it's 45 years later now and guess what there's giants that live on that mountain and caleb says you know what it's okay i was promised a mountain i'm not going anywhere until i get my mountain what if christians today had that fight you know what no God promised me I don't have to live full of anxiety and stress and depression anymore. I ain't going anywhere. No, until I conquer that mountain. I was promised that I could have healing. I was promised that I could have this in my life. I was promised, and I'm not going anywhere until I get my mountain. What if Christians had that attitude? And so, and so Caleb says, I'm not going anywhere. Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Verse 13, and Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. So just real quick as we... Bring it in for a landing here. What if 45 years earlier, Caleb had joined in and got offended with everybody else? What if Caleb said, you know what? Forget Moses. Forget him. He delivered us. I'm, I'm with you guys. Forget him. I'm mad and I'm going back to Egypt. He never did that. He never let it happen because your heart determines the course of your life. And so I'm encouraging us here today. The primary bait that Satan will use to destroy your life is to get you so full of stress and anxiety because you're so offended that you just won't let go. Whether it's justified or unjustified, the result's the same. I'm encouraging you today 
We're getting ready to take communion in a few minutes. And my, this is a special, I've waited months for this. You have no idea. I have waited months to take communion together in this church as a family. You couldn't have kept me away today with an 18-wheeler. I would have got here. I'm ready for this moment. But I know that God's speaking to some hearts today. And maybe you need to bring some offense before the Lord today and ask God to help you let some stuff go. I don't know. Maybe that's what God's dealing with on you. I'm going to have Josh come up and kind of uh, get ready to lead us in a little bit of worship. Can we stand up together today? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.